Jim Franks, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to start us off here, and let's start talking about uh, who has, who knows um, what we've been doing about, about these things called, bi- called uh, <laughs> who knows that Jim shouldn't be up here teaching today, um, these things called memory verses, huh, who's been, uh, who's been working on their memory verse, okay, good, so what we call a memory verse is because Gonna memorize it. So let's start today with Mark chapter one, verse fifteen, and it's, read this along with me. It's on your, it's on your, um, your, your page here. Mark chapter one, verse fifteen says, "The time." So you read it with me. The time has come. He said, "The kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news." Yes. So last week, if you were here, um, we noted that one of the major emphases as we get into the book of Mark is Jesus' authority over opposing forces. That's what a lot of last week's content was. As we pick up at the end of chapter one and then get into chapter two, we're going to see this theme continuing. And I think there's a, I think there is a, a significant emphasis on our responsibility, we have responsibilities in this. So um, you met Drew last week, if you didn't know him. Um, Drew is uh, one, of our, one of our fellows that is feeling a call to the ministry. So Drew is going to get us kicked off with our, with our first scripture passage of the day. Good morning, guys. Um, if you would stand with me and read Psalms uh, 144, verses 1 through 10 with me. Um, I'll let you guys have a minute to flip there. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me. Waters from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp, I will play to you. Who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for today. Um, We just thank you for your truth. And um, Father, we just thank you that you have given us authority um, from your Holy Spirit. And um, Father, we just thank you that you've given us the stronghold of truth. And I just pray for Jim, uh, just that you speak through him, Lord, and just uh, allow us to focus on the message and uh, just transform our hearts. Amen. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. So this psalm was a psalm of King David. He wrote this. Most of his reign as king over the nation of Israel was spent at war. He was fighting off the, um, the nations around him that were trying to uh, come against the nation of Israel and trying to, um, trying to take down the, the, the nation. And David understood his role as king was to protect, uh, was to protect the nation. He was he that was his that was his responsibility, 
and to represent his God well. I want you to think about the spiritual battles that you fight in your life. Let those come to mind. What are the spiritual battles that, that, that tend to just keep coming back and coming back and coming back? What are those battles? How many of those battles that you have just affect you? And how many of them through you, through the fight that you deal with, it affects other people in your life. We are all interconnected, which means when I do well in fighting off the enemy in my life, it affects you. If I bump up against you, if, you, if we see each other, and if I am living in victory, it affects everybody around me. If you are, are living an overcoming kind of life where as the enemy is coming against you, you are attacking him back and you are finding victory over those areas of, of, of spiritual influence in your life, it's going to affect me. It's going to affect each other because we are all, the, we are all members of one single body, the body of Jesus Christ, which is the church. And so... Your spiritual life is not just your own. Your spiritual life affects everybody around you. Your victories are all of our victories. Your defeats are going to affect the body around us as well. So, uh, so last week um, we met Drew, uh, and uh, this week we're going to meet Drew's wife, Maddie. Uh, Maddie has recently learned how to spiritually fight on a different level, and I was really looking forward to having Maddie share what she has been experience, experiencing as God has been uh, teaching her some different things. So, uh, so Maddie, what had, you, what had you been experiencing, and how was that affecting you? Yeah, so I and we have been, we were experiencing spiritual warfare in our home, um, just like the sense of just unrest and just this heavy weight in our home and there wasn't any peace. Um, and it was affecting me very deeply um, just with my thoughts and my emotions. And yeah, I would say I wasn't fighting back against it. I was just letting it um, just beat me up really in a sense. And yeah, it just affected me a lot. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what did you learn that has made a difference and what, were, and what did you specifically do? Talk about what you did in your home when that fear and that anxiety was coming against you. What did you specifically do, and how is life different now? Yeah, so um, there's a lot to like process and all of it, but when that attack would come of one, recognizing what it was um, and where it was coming from, and it was obviously not from God. Um, and so recognizing that and not being afraid of it, I think that was my biggest, my biggest thing. There was so much fear in it. So not being afraid of it and just realizing like through Christ and his Holy Spirit that he's given us, like we have that authority over like all of the spiritual realm and all of those things and just being able to like, actually use it I knew about it growing up but like holy cow being able to experience it and use the the authority that God has given us and living in the victory that he has already like 
given us. Like, we already have victory in Christ. We don't have to be afraid of it, and don't let, like, we don't have to let that have a foothold in our home and on our life, so. And so that foothold's gone. Yes, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So uh, for those of us that are here, if that's something, well, like, from what Maddie's saying, does anybody here that would kind of connect with that? You, you, You would, okay, good, good. If this is something that you would like to know more about, um, catch these guys afterwards because they what they have the the authority and the power that they're walking in right now is available to everybody. You can walk in that same power and authority if there's fear in your home, if there's anxiety in your home, you don't have to live with that. And because of the power of God, you can shut the stuff down. If you choose now if you want to continue to live in that fear, then you can do that. God gives us that freedom to do that, but it certainly is a lot better on the other side. Mm-hmm. Good. Very good. All right, let's thank, thank these guys for coming up. Okay, so as we read about Jesus, about how Jesus revealed his power and compassion in our passage today, let's treat this, um, let's treat this part of um, this part of what we're learning as the training of our hands to war, like it said there in, in Psalm 144. Because he was, he, uh, David was very clear. He wanted God to teach him how to fight. And we can each choose to learn how to fight against whatever the enemy is going to bring against us as well. And we can, and, and if we have that same desire in our hearts, to, uh, to ask God, God, please teach me how to fight. And then I choose to do it. We will be able to walk in a power and authority over things like fear and depression and anxiety and all these things that we don't have to live with. We don't have to live with. Okay, so let's take a look. Uh, we'll start through our first passage in Mark chapter one. So if you've got your Bibles, let's flip there. And we're going to start Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. So as we look here, our first fill in the blank is this. Jesus' power and his compassion overcomes our uncleanness. How many of you have heard someone say, when asked to go to church, I would not dare walking in, walk in the church because I will be afraid that the lightning's gonna strike me on my way in. Interesting, Jesus' power and compassion overcomes all sense of uncleanness that we have. Let's see how it works. So uh, in Mark chapter one, verse 40 through 45, we start here. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees Let's stop right there. This guy came boldly to Jesus. At this time in, in the nation of Israel, if you had this skin disease called leprosy, you were untouchable. You had to announce that you had leprosy. And when people, when you come into people's presence, they would, they want nothing to do with you. You, they, you were not going to touch anybody. You were completely isolated. And so for this guy to come into Jesus' presence and say, um, and say, if you are willing, you can make me clean. To walk, just to approach Jesus. How many of you have been watching the, the series The Chosen? 
Okay, a bunch of us. Do you remember the scene? Because this scene is in uh, season one or two, I don't remember which. But as, as you see this scene play out, this guy is walking up to the disciples and, and, he, and the disciples are like, whoa, leprosy, leprosy. And they start doing this thing where they pull their clothes over their mouth. Like they don't want to breathe what this guy's breathing. And the one, the one uh, disciple pulls out a knife and said, don't come any closer. That is what people who had this skin disease would live with. They were completely isolated. They could not be, and, and this, was a, this was a collectivistic society, which means everybody depended on each other. And for a person to be this outcast was, this was the end of, this was kind of like the end of their social life. So let's, let's see, for him to approach Jesus, keep your spot there, and let's flip back to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we, pro- that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We are promised that if we, if we come to Jesus with whatever, we, whatever needs that we have, that he is going to meet us with mercy and grace. He is going to meet us with compassion. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter how unclean that you feel from whatever happened yesterday or whatever happened this week. You can approach the throne of Jesus and say, I need you. And he is going to welcome you into his presence. If you are willing to give, to, to accept him into your life, to confess, if we're willing to confess our sins, to repent of our sins, to turn away from our sins, he is willing to keep his hands open regardless of what happens. His mercy and his grace are always waiting for us to respond to him. So he comes boldly, and so can we. Then it says, so let's go back to Mark chapter 1. It says, filled with compassion, filled with compassion. Jesus is filled with compassion for someone who was unclean back then, and he is just as filled with compassion for you and me. He is crazy in love with you and me. And it has nothing to do with how much money we have. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, what kind of car we drive. This is just because we're his kids. And he loves us. And he wants to pour his mercy on us. So he's filled with compassion. Then it says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. 
I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus was not afraid of his uncleanness. It's a hard telling how long this guy went without any kind of physical touch from another human being. Certainly, as long as he had this skin disease, nobody touched him. He was isolated by himself. Nobody was, was allowed to have any contact with him because they were afraid they'd get it too. And yet, here Jesus was, not afraid of his uncleanness, and touched him. Then, okay, so let's keep on going. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So, what do we see? Jesus says, Jesus is so concerned about, he is concerned about this one man's life. He is not concerned about, hey, now that I did this thing, I want you to go tell everybody about what I did for you. No, 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 no. He doesn't want him to do that. He says, I just want you to go and I want you to show yourself to the priest because that's what had to happen before he would have been welcomed back into the community. Go show yourself to the priest, wash yourself, and then you're gonna be fine. He was concerned about this man's life. He is concerned about your life. Jesus is not, he is not, he is concerned about you. He loves you. He loves me. He is, he is, he loves your heart. He loves your mind. He loves you. He wasn't interested in showing off. He was concerned about the man was again able to participate in the spiritual life of Israel because the priest would declare him clean. It's really interesting, this idea of leprosy back then because it was, it's a very powerful symbol in the New Testament, especially in the New Testament um, as a symbol of sin because it starts small and it can often stay dormant, in a, not dormant, but it, it, can, it can be undetected in a person's physical body for a long time before it manifests itself in the, in the sores and the way that uh, it attacks a person's body, um, which is the same as sin. Uh, we can oftentimes just let one thing in, and then that one thing will lead to another thing, will lead to another thing, and then all of a sudden I'm thinking things and saying things that, that I know that I shouldn't be doing, Sin starts small. And that's the picture that we see uh, here. And what's also really interesting is that leprosy also attacks the, 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 the central nervous system, or the peripheral nervous system, so that it would eventually, it, um, it deteriorates the nerve endings in people's hands, feet, and their, their extremities, so that over time, they lose all sensation of pain. They can't feel pain anymore. And so um, oftentimes when, when you'll see someone who, uh, like even now, don't, don't look at, if you've got a weak stomach, don't look at pictures who, who, of people in third world countries who live with this because it's, it's horrible. But what would happen is oftentimes you know, they would lose this sensation of pain and then they'd grab really, really hot things and burn themselves horribly. Well, now they're scarred. And so um, and I was even reading... Uh, um, that oftentimes people who live in third world, third world countries, um, like they're in really 
nasty situations and they go to sleep and they can actually like have rats come up and like chew on their fingers and stuff, but they don't feel it. So they wake up the next day and they've got, you know, they've got all this damage to their body. And then with the disease that would make its way in and the infections and all that kind of stuff. All of these things, this is a picture of sin and how sin can deaden us um, inside and we start to have this calloused over heart and we, uh, and we realize that, and we oftentimes won't realize it until it's too late that we've been hurt by sin. Even in this, Jesus is, what we see here is he loves this guy and he, he pours out his mercy on this guy. He touches this man with no concern about, Ugh. He reaches out to him. You, you are clean. You are forgiven. We need community. And Jesus healed the social isolation of this man. They had to separate themselves because of this uncleanness. Because they didn't fit into society. But Jesus reaches out to touch him. So when Jesus cleanses us from our sin, we are cleansed. We are clean. Sometimes those thoughts will come back through that will say, don't you remember what you did? Don't you remember? You know what you did. If we have turned, if we have asked Jesus to forgive us of our sins, if we've repented of our sins, we are clean. You're clean. You are clean. You are clean. You don't have to listen to those thoughts that say, yeah, but. You are clean. Let's keep going. Mark chapter 2. We see another individual that, um, that has a pretty strong stigma in the society of, of Israel back then, which will take us to our second fill-in-the-blank, which is Jesus' power and compassion overcomes our brokenness. Overcomes our brokenness. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 2. Let's start in, <coughs> start in verse 1. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. After digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. So imagine this is your house and you got all the people in the neighborhood over and, you know, and, and Jesus is in there, he's teaching everybody, and all of a sudden, you know, this starts happening up top. These people destroyed this guy's roof of his house. How much does it cost to put a roof on your house? Right. These guys dug a hole in the roof because they couldn't get in, and they lowered their buddy down. What kind, th think about the guts that it would have had to take to do this. 
these guys, I don't know if these guys could have been taken to jail. I would think so. Did they, were they worried about getting sued? Were they worried about what's going to, who's coming after them? The police had got to come. I don't know if there's police back then, but the police had got to come when the guys are digging a hole in someone else's roof. But these guys did not care because their number one concern is I've got to get my friend to Jesus. Do you have a friend that needs to get to Jesus? If you do, I want you to just think about it, compare the intensity that you have of getting your friend to Jesus to the intensity that these guys had. They were going to do whatever it took to put their friend in Jesus' presence. And thinking about what's also interesting is in back then, the stigma of paralyzed people uh, a lot of times was uh, they must have done something, they must have sinned somehow that put them in this situation. So not only, not only are they gonna fight through just the fact that they've just destroyed someone's roof, but now they're bringing someone who's, they've probably done this to themselves. It's their own fault for being paralyzed. So they gotta work through that. But the faith and the intensity of these people is amazing. The paralyzed man and his friend's faith is what brought healing. Because it says, let's look back to, um, back to verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, that's what activated their healing. They had such faith that they were gonna do whatever it took and Jesus, he got really excited about that. And then the healing came. Now this healing is a two-step process. And I think we see this in these first two, in these first two examples between the guy who, uh, who had leprosy and this guy. Because at first, Jesus didn't say anything about physical healing. You see that? Look at, look at what you see there in verse 5. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. It's almost like these guys' physical healings were secondary to what was most important, which was their spiritual healing, their spiritual deliverance. It doesn't mean that they sinned and they got sick or they sinned and they were paralyzed, but Jesus is a whole lot more concerned about the fact that someday he wants them to be in heaven with him. And so he, that's where he starts. He says, your sins are forgiven. And then <laughs> this other cool little part here, what does he call him? Son. My son. My son, your sins are forgiven. He just watched these guys destroy someone's home. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Both of these situations point to people who were completely helpless to bring their own relief and who both exercised great faith in Jesus that he would be able to heal them. There was no question in their mind that Jesus was going to be able to heal them. It's not proven by their words. It's proven by their actions. I can say I, have all, I put all my faith in Jesus 
but when I choose not to, my words are not accurate. My actions determine if I truly have all of my faith in Jesus. There's another really cool passage in Luke chapter 10. Let's save our spot here. Let's flip back to Luke chapter 10. So this, this story in Luke 10, um, Jesus has just sent out uh, 72 leaders to go out and start preaching around, uh, around the nation of Israel. And they've gone out. They've really experienced some cool things. Uh, they're excited. They come back. And uh, starting in verse 17, uh, this, it says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. That's what Maddie was talking about. Gets pelted with fear, get pelted with anxiety. She shuts that down. Now, she could go one of two ways. She could say, bring it on. That is full of pride. Now we got problems because that's another way to allow the enemy in. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. And that snakes and scorpions, that's not like literal animals. That's not what this is. These would be spiritual, these would be spiritual powers and authorities that come against us. And to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus' emphasis in these two passages point not so much to his ability to physically heal, but it's that these men's eternity is secure because of their faith. Their faith made them well which fits perfectly with what we read here in Luke. We don't rejoice, we don't, we don't get proud because when we take authority over, like what Maddie was talking about, when I take authority over the enemy and I squash him and I shut him down, I don't take, that's, like, that's not the best win. The best win is geez, I, I, just the acknowledgement Jesus is inside of me. Did you catch how like when Maddie was talking, she kept coming back to, God is inside of me. These things have to listen to me because, G because the Holy Spirit is inside. The Holy Spirit brings joy. The Holy Spirit brings peace. It's not being able to take, a, take um, authority over these things. It is the Holy Spirit inside of me. When I rest in God being inside of me and I am just digging into my relationship with him, life changes life changes and now I'm able to begin walking in God's power in ways that I just never could before and it is beautiful it is absolutely beautiful okay I am going to get out of the way and Mr. Brian Clutter is going to come and pick up and take us through the last individual hello my name is Brian. Um, I am an elder here at New Hope, and I also help teaching uh, classes like Equip and uh, Growth Track. So, <clears throat> nice to meet you all. Um, <clears throat> so, our next fill in the blank. Jesus' power and compassion brings us into communion with him. 
So let's jump into Mark 2, starting with verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. When Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Who here likes taxes? Anybody? No. So let's talk about the way taxes were were uh, collected in Roman t- or in Jewish Roman times of the Jew- Roman occupation of Israel. There we go. <clears throat> so tax collectors were considered traitors by the Jewish people because they worked for the Roman government and they were the most visible Jewish collaborators with Rome. <clears throat> and the way they collected taxes was interesting. They would actually bid for a contract to collect tax in an area like a city, and the contract would be awarded to the highest bidder. So it didn't really matter how much you owed, it was how much they said you owed. <clears throat> and the, uh, the tax collector, well, so then the tax collectors would pay the Roman government what they bid, what they had promised that they would pay them, and then if there's anything left over, they would just put that in their pocket. Uh, and any overcharging of people was just pure profit for the tax collector. So they had 100% initiative or uh, incentive to overcharge people. <clears throat> uh, so Jewish people who were tax collectors became outcasts of Jewish society, just like the people that Jim was just talking about. These guys were outcasts not so much because of things that they couldn't control. Uh, With the guy with leprosy, he more than likely came in contact with somebody, didn't realize they had leprosy, and then he he contracted it. Levi, these tax collectors, they chose this profession. And because they were the outcasts of Jewish society, that means that they were excommunicated from the synagogue, they were disqualified to be a judge or a witness in court, the entire family was disgraced, and they were considered the embodiment of sin. So let's talk about Levi, our favorite tax collector. In Hebrew, Levi, the name Levi, sounds like attached to. Attached to. It could also mean united, joined, those kinds of things. Um, if you remember from our last series where we're going through Genesis, uh, Levi was the name of Jacob and Leah's third son, who his offspring then became the Levite tribe. And the Levites, they became the priests under the Mosaic law, which I thought was really interesting because wouldn't wouldn't you think it would be a little bit extra troubling for Jewish people in Jesus' time to have a tax collector who was named after the the tribe who was supposed to be the priests? Be pretty extra heinous, I would think. Um, In spite of all of this, 
What did Jesus say to Levi? Follow me. Jesus is crossing a cultural divide that not only the Pharisees would never have crossed, but it was also a line that your average person on the street, your average Israelite, would, wouldn't have crossed either. And why did he do that? Because Jesus loves the outcasts. So then, Levi, he threw a party and invited Jesus and his disciples to come along. And who do you suppose came to this party at Levi's house? More sinners. Because who did Levi know? All he knew were his fellow tax collectors and sinners. Levi was able to join Jesus with an under-serviced under, uh, section of society in Israel, in, in Jewish religion. <clears throat> so as the name Levi can be joined, he joined Jesus with his friends. Which makes me wonder, how many of those friends do you suppose also turned from their ways and followed Jesus? It doesn't say for sure, but it doesn't take much imagination to think that it's probably a number of them. All it took for Levi to follow Jesus was Jesus saying, follow me, and he followed. Similar to Levi, our job is to bring people to Jesus. Jesus is the one who will change them. He will save their, save their soul. He will forgive their sins. We bring the, our friends to him. It's also interesting that Jesus was eating at the same table with all of these sinners. I'm going to take a quick drink. Hang on a second. Because in Jewish times, or in Jesus' time, uh, eating at the same table with somebody was a sign of friendship and a relationship. Um, some would call it a covenant of friendship. <clears throat> Which is interesting when you think back. Levi had a contract with the Roman government, with the world, that probably made him rich. He put aside that contract and chose instead to have a covenant with Jesus. And now, let's contrast that with the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they come up here, and what did they say? Uh, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The word Pharisee itself, if you break it apart, actually means separated one. The Pharisees purposely separated themselves from anyone and anything that they thought was unholy, which was pretty much everybody but them. So... It's no wonder that it was scandalous in their eyes that Jesus would go and sit and eat with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus' actions flew in the face of their very identity. When they questioned why he ate with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus' answer was simple but profound. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Who is he talking about? He's talking about us, all of us. We are all sinners. Even though we are sinners, Jesus has chosen to say, follow me to all of us. And he joins us around the table of friendship and love to the breaking of bread and the sharing of our lives. He invites us into a covenant of friendship. Relationships are built around the dinner table, 
There's just something special that happens when you share a meal together. This is why once a month, we at New Hope, we observe a special time of fellowship together that we call communion. Uh, at the first communion, while Jesus was sharing another table with his friends, all of whom he, called, he had called to follow him, he took bread and broke it and said, this bread represents my body, which was broken for you. Take and eat. Then he took the cup and said, this wine represents my blood, which is the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink. He shared his last supper with his friends, all of whom he knew would scatter in fear, deny him, deny they even knew him, and he even was sitting with the one he knew would betray him. Just like them, just like Levi and his buddies, we are all sinners in need of Jesus. And this morning we invite you to join him today at the table of communion as a friend and a loved one of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. and for, for those of us that are not um, partners here, you, we still would welcome you to, 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 to participate in, in communion. We just ask that, um, that you would have made that, that first time commitment to Jesus and you have given your life to him. Um, so what we're going to do is the ushers will come by and they will release you uh, to come down, either to come here or in the back. Um, we have gluten-free bread so that everybody can participate in juice. Um, so let's, uh, why don't we, let's, let's, let's go to the Lord. God, we are so thankful that you are a God who loves us and you have promised that, uh, that when we come to you, that, that you will have mercy for us and you will have grace uh, ready for us. So God, I pray that, um, that during this time of communion, you would remind us that, um, that you are present with us and that you are speaking into our hearts. Um, Lord, make us very sensitive to your voice today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
bow, we bow our hearts before you. We bow our mind before you. We trust you. You promise that you will be doing a work inside of us. And so we trust you that you are doing that work. And God, empower us to walk in the obedience that you have called us to live with. Walk with us this week. Remind us that we are walking in your strength and not our own. We're walking in your authority and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, everybody have a great rest of your week. If anyone would like to uh, learn a little bit more, if you deal with some of that, that fear uh, in your home, like what Maddie and Drew were talking about, take a couple minutes and catch these guys because they, they, they're, they're finding that victory. If that's something that you live with, go catch them for a little bit afterwards. So everybody have a great rest of your week, and we shall see you next Sunday. Oh. Oh. I think I muted it. Okay.